0: hello everyone and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of imperfect today i actually have my first female guest and i'm very excited because it's on the same week as mother's day and uh, that wasn't really planned at all when i first said it but then she's like oh that happens to be the week that has mother's day so i thought that was pretty cool but today's guest is amanda huffman amanda is a military spouse and veteran who served in the air force for six years as a civil engineer including a deployment to afghanistan She traded in her combat boots for a diaper bag to stay home with her two boys and follow her husband's military career. She published her first book in 2019, titled Women of the Military, Sharing Stories of 28 Military Women. In 2019, she also launched her podcast, also titled Women of the Military. On the podcast, there has been representation from all five military branches and featured stories from the 23rd Secretary of the Air Force, the Women Air Force Service Pilots to present day. You can learn more about Amanda at her blog, Airman to Mom. On this podcast, we talk about the culture of the military being deployed in Afghanistan and how that affected her, how men are starting to become allies in the military culture, male leadership as well as some other things like courage and fear and kind of the conversation around the difference between male and female emotions and whether or not that is actually significant or whether or not that actually made a difference in her military career. But I'm very excited for you to listen to this episode. It's very honest and there's a lot of good things that Amanda has to say and, and has definitely opened my eyes to the fact that you know this is exactly what I wanted when I I wanted to have women on the podcast and I'm very excited for you to hear this story. Amanda, I'm so excited for you to be here. I'm excited for you to join me. You're my first female podcast guest. So, very proud about that. I think your story was fantastic for the audience that I'm trying to serve and very excited for you to be here. But my first question to you is, who is one famous celebrity or, you know, non-celebrity that you would like to have over for dinner and what would you cook for them?
1: So, I would like to have I got to I got a chance to interview General Wilma Vaught for my podcast. She was one of the first female generals in the U.S. Air Force and in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. And I got to interview her and ask her questions about her military experience, but I would have loved to like just listen to her talk <laughs> for hours and hours and like have it be more laid back in uh, a dinner. And I love cooking pizza, so I think I'm going to go with pizza because it's so easy to do and you can make it in so many different ways.
0: And I guess in terms of your conversation with her, would you be more focused on her time in the military, uh, her as a woman in the military, or more of like how she got into the military in the first place?
1: So in the interview that I did with her, she talked a lot about she had all these stories of like people that she had helped through encouraging them get to get get their education or to start reading books instead of comics was one of the stories she told and just hearing like her stories I was kind of thinking like first woman general she's going to be like tough and like I don't know I was just blown away by like how much time and energy she cared about her people and that was what made her successful that she took care of her people and just hearing that wisdom and hearing all those stories it was really inspiring
0: yeah, that's really great. And so, yeah, that's interesting that you even brought up the aspect of you kind of thought that she'd be male, typical behavior person, but she actually used her womanly strengths to lead and be a positive force in the military.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Wow. And um, new question that I have that I'm going to ask all my guests is, what is one book that has inspired you to where you are today?
1: So... I read Beyond the Point. It's a novel, so it's fiction, but it's based on the stories of women. And it was about women who went to West Point and what they went through in their lives after they graduated. One went off to war, one actually didn't commission, and she went through like that series. And it was just a really fascinating story to read and just to hear. Like, I was in the Air Force, but I didn't go to The academy, I did the ROTC route, which is kind of the easy route to become an officer where you go to college and then you take your classes and it's not that intense. But I was like so eye opening to see what being at West Point was like and how tough it is. And it just gave me more admiration for the people who go through that. And I related so much to the experience. It was, I started reading that about when I started my podcast. And so that kind of pushed me to keep going and to share more stories.
0: And you just mentioned your podcast. So Amanda, why don't you give a little bit of an introduction to as to who you are, what you do?
1: So my podcast is Women of the Military. So I was in the Air Force for six years. And when I left the Air Force to be a stay-at-home mom and military spouse, I fell into blogging. And through a bunch of twists and turns, I started talking about the stories of other women who have served in the military along with my own experience. And so that's what I get to do. I get to interview women about their experience and share their stories with the world.
0: Mm -hmm. And what makes you so passionate about the women's stories in the military? I know, you know, a lot of the movies are based around men, which is unfortunate. I'm sure there's a lot of women in the military, but they don't get as much credibility or I guess as much publicity. So kind of what was your thought process behind starting your podcast in the first place? Was it both, you know, you having experience and then you having a spouse that is not in the, in the military? Kind of what was your angle and what, what was your passion behind that?
1: So I did a deployment series in 2017. I deployed to Afghanistan in 2010 and I thought it would be cool to do a like a group of stories about deployments and what their people's experiences were like and I emailed like every guy I knew to be on this thing and I also did some random calls and emailed females that I knew and like I shared about it on social media and I got almost all responses from women. And I was like, oh yeah, women are in the military, (laughs) which you'd think I would know because I was in the military. But it was just kind of like, oh, there's women like me who want to share their story. And so through that, I started collecting more stories of women. And then the more stories I heard and the more stories I heard from people who like, when they finally told their story, which is something that they like, either just had not really thought about or had pushed aside or something that they were struggling with. And to have that healing through being able to share that story, it really inspired me to share more stories and to keep going with the podcast.
0: Yeah. And and what does that kind of tell you how, you know, a lot of guys or men weren't weren't responding to you, but a lot of women were? Do you think that was because you were a woman? Do you think there was a lot of like just underlying sexism there? Or do you think that a lot of women just want to share their stories and you finally gave them a, a chance to do that?
1: I think it was more that I, I women wanted to share their stories and they felt like it was a safe place to share their stories. The guys that I talked to wanted to, either they got busy and they forgot about it or they felt like their story wasn't worth sharing. So I think as a guy, I think it's a little bit harder to share your story as a guy because there's so many men in the military. And then you think like, oh, I'm not a Medal of Honor winner or I'm not, I didn't do this or that. And so I think that it was more a lot of like self-doubt of like my deployment experience was boring. I don't need to talk about it because right now with my podcast, I have so many male veterans who are like so excited about what I'm doing and they're my biggest supporters. So I don't think it was that they didn't think what I was doing was important. It was more like they didn't think what they had done was important. And so Yeah. And it was just easier for women to talk to me because I am a woman, which is which makes sense.
0: Yeah. I think that's the same when I it's easy, very easy for me to talk to men about masculinity and, and whatnot. But if if a woman was kind of doing it, you could see a lot more men trying to freeze up or maybe not be as vulnerable. And I definitely think that's the strong suit of of, you know, using who you are to your advantage in a lot of ways. But I definitely wanted to go back to talking about your deployment to Afghanistan. What was kind of your experiences there? Because 2010, I was only, you know, 14 back then. So I don't remember the whole context of how, like, how serious it was at that point in time. But what was it like over there for you?
1: So it was probably kind of like a lull of, like, in between, there were still people dying and there was still fighting going on. But and where I was wasn't as dangerous. Like the Northern part of Afghanistan was a lot more stable than the Southern part. And I was in the Northern part. And so I was in the air force, but I deployed with the army as a civil engineer. And so we were out in the local villages meeting with the Afghan people and helping them to, they say build but or rebuild, but there was nothing there cause they lived in like mud huts and we were building these like two story buildings. It was kind of crazy. And so it was just kind of a crazy experience where I was like out. I was attached to an infantry unit. I don't know if you know about like the US finally allowed women to be in the infantry in 2016. And I was deployed in 2010 with an infantry unit, which people would technically say isn't allowed, but that's where I was. And so I think that's part of the reason like why I'm so passionate about sharing my experience because When that ruling came out that they were going to make that change, someone asked me if I was going to get out of the military since they made that change. And I was like, well, I already deployed to Afghanistan and got shot at. So, you know, I think I'm okay." But it was just like she like said, well, now that you can be in combat, are you going to get out? And I'm like, well, I already was. So it was an interesting experience and just something I never really expected to go through.
0: Yeah. And so when you know this person asked you if you were going to I guess leave the infantry or or you know or
1: leave the military
0: Leave the military was that something that you saw a lot of women doing in t- in the sense that they could get deployed like was that a realistic uh, expectation was that a realistic thought that a lot of women were like now that we can go to combat or be part of infantry we're going to pull out now or or no not at all
1: Not at all because the women have been fighting the fight in the war zone without even really thinking, like, I didn't even think about the fact that I was with an infantry unit. It was the military said, you're going on the deployment. And I was like, okay, I'm going. And it wasn't like something that women were like trying to get out of. They were out on the front lines doing what they were supposed to do. And like people talked about like women aren't supposed to be on the front lines, but there isn't really a front lines in Afghanistan. So it was just kind of something that I didn't even really know that much about the army because I was in the air force and there weren't any jobs off limits to the air force for women. So I didn't even realize like what I was doing. I just did whatever I was told, which is what the military teaches you to do. You just do what you you're told and you don't really, you don't ask questions because you're right there next to the person beside you and it doesn't really matter if it's a man or a woman you're doing whatever your job is and I think that's one of the cool things about the military people is that you just do what you know you're supposed to do and get it done
0: that's interesting and you talked about earlier before like we'll go come back to Afghanistan but you talked a little bit earlier about the ROTC I think that's what you called it is the easy route in and to me so i'm from canada i don't really know what we do with military up here i know it's a lot more serious in terms of like the public image in the states so what do you mean by easy route because to me nothing seems easy to get to the military like i would say don't discredit yourself but i don't know what what uh, what other way it is
1: So in the U.S., there's three main ways to join as an officer, which is what I did. And then there's also the route to become like an enlisted member. And basically to become enlisted, you just go to boot camp and each branch has a different boot camp that you go to. But as an officer, there's military colleges that you can go to. So West Point, the Academy, Annapolis, And then you can also do, uh, it's called Reserve Officer Training Corps, which is ROTC, which is a program where you go to college and then you take classes while you're going to college. And then when you graduate, you commission and you do like a four week boot camp between your sophomore and junior year. And then when you graduate, you commission into the military and you graduate with your degree. And then you can also do a program called Officer Training School, which is OTS, and that's usually, I think, 12 weeks, and you'll already have your degree, and then you can compete for slots, and then you go to that training. And yeah, so ROTC is, there are hard aspects to it, but you get to go to college and you do your ROTC stuff like one day a week, and we had PT two or three times a week which is physical training, which is working out because physical training probably doesn't mean anything. And so (laughs) there's so many acronyms in the military and then they don't even make sense when you say them out loud. Yeah. So
0: No, it's good. I'm learning what they are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so that was how I went into the military. And it was a great program for me because it was kind of like a slow get your feet wet learn a little bit about the military, learn about how to march, learn about how to follow orders and like each year built on itself. And so by the time I went to boot camp, I had had two years of training of like learning how to march. And then we did the boot camp and then we came back and I had two more years before I went on active duty. And so it was spread out over time. So I guess that's why it's not so intense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen the movie Annapolis, but and I've seen, obviously I've seen some, some more military movies. Is it as bad as those descript? What is the culture of, of the military as a whole in terms of rule following? You know, you said it's a do what you're told mentality, which to me can seem like a very dangerous mentality to have at times. And we're always told, you know, follow yourself and follow your heart, but military is much very much do what you're told. So I'm, I'm really, really interested in what you thought the culture of the military was like, and if it's as bad or if it's as dangerous as people, you know, who maybe aren't familiar with it it to be.
1: I think that there are times when you need to do stuff because it will save your life. The hardest part for me, actually, for my, my like military experience Boot camp was hard because you get yelled at a lot. And that really does happen. They do yell at you. They do make you do push-ups until like your arms feel you're going to fall. But you build like a relationship with the people in on your, they say flight is what I would call it. And so your team of people and those people you depend on and you get really close because of the experience you go through. And that pushes you to do things that you don't think you can do. And I think that's what the military is really good at, at deployment training we had to do a thing where we and there's no option you have to do whatever they tell you but you had to go through this training where they like put you in a humvee and with all your gear on so your helmet your flak vest and then you put your seatbelt on and then they flip the car to practice like what it would be like if your car rolled over but there's nothing in it so it's kind it's pretty I mean it's safe so it's not dangerous but When I did that, I, like, freaked out because we ended up upside down. I had to push myself up with one arm and unbuckle myself, and, like, I couldn't do it. And the sergeant in the front seat was like, you have to figure out how to do it. Like, we can't, like, he was already unbuckled and right side up, but there was no way for him to get to me. And so I somehow figured out how to do it, and I was able to get out of the car and we were all able to get out and we met the mission but then when we got to Afghanistan before we could leave the base they made us do it again and I was like I don't want to do that again but the second time I did it it was so easy because I was prepared for it and so like we flipped over and it was more like a roller coaster than being scared because we knew and once the vehicle stopped I knew how to brace myself and I was able to get out and so it was stuff like. Where you think, like, why is the military making me do this crazy thing? Where you're like, I'm, if I don't see how this is going to help me. But a lot of times, when they make you do something, even though it's not exactly the same as it would be when you're in a war zone, it prepares you and you know how to react. And that's what I think the good part about the military is. And that's kind of like why you have to follow orders so quickly, you just have to do what they tell you.
0: No, I think that, man, it's, it's weird. It's so weird to me to think that you had to go through those types of moments and training. And, you know, they, they talk a lot about like emotional strength. And I'm really fascinated by this. Would you say that you think that men have an advantage in their like emotional strength? Or is that just something that is portrayed by society to have, but when they're actually tested with these different tests, that it's something that you all have? Like, it seems like when you're in Afghanistan and you know you're in the trenches or you're in those moments together everyone's emotions really come out and there's re- you really just see the the deepest most emotional states of people kind of what are your thoughts on on the gendered ideas that men have more emotional strength in the first place than women which i think is total bullshit i just want to hear what your thoughts are about that
1: yeah i agree i think that the military like they do really train us and they treat us like without gender and so we We react and we're trained for every situation. And I think a lot of times, sometimes people see women, their sensitivity and their like emotional IQ as a weakness. But from what I found, it's like one of the biggest strengths going back to talking about General Vaught. One of her like big things is she would go into a unit and no one would be taking care of the airmen. They would like not be getting promotions. They would not be getting put in for awards and their morale was really low. And so she changed the whole unit and she said that people would tell her, when I heard a woman was coming to be my boss, I tried to get out of this unit, but I would work for you anywhere. She said that happened over and over again. And I think that sometimes you think that like that emotional and that way of looking at things from a different perspective can be a bad thing but i think we need both sides we need men and women working together and listening to each other so we can find the best solution
0: yeah and i've i've always been someone that has been like why do a lot of men put down the idea that caring for other people is a weakness when it's a strength and we're seeing that a lot now in terms of emotional intelligence that leadership is really about caring for other people. And I wouldn't say, you know, women obviously have the maternal aspect of it that sometimes men don't have. that We don't go through the pregnancy aspect. But I would say that we are seeing that men are allowed to, to be that way, a lot more emotional, a lot more caring. That's become a better way to lead, a much more positive way to lead, which is exactly what you've been alluding to. And so kind of to go on to that, you know, we've, we've kind of discussed in in a previous conversation about some of the language that is used around women in the military. And I kind of want you to kind of go into, into some of that, whether that men were discounting orders from women or, you know, just kind of gendering what they were saying and their points.
1: Yeah. I don't think, I mean, that might happen, but I don't, I didn't ever experience like, well, I didn't give out a lot of orders, but I always felt like the people that I worked for respected me and cared about me. And the guys on my team, they obviously took care of me, but that was their job. And that was what they were supposed to do. Because when we would go out on our missions, uh, I would always be talking to the Afghans and usually there was a crowd of people. And so sometimes I'd be like surrounded by Afghans and I would always be I'd be like, oh, there's too many people. But whenever I would look to my shoulder, there'd always be one of the they call them the security forces the security forces team members would be within like arm's reach so they could like grab me and pull me away. And that wasn't because I was a woman. That's because that was their job. And if it had been a male civil engineer with all those people, they would be the same thing. So it was, they just did their job and they took care of me. And that's what they were supposed to do because my expertise was engineering and their expertise was security forces. And so They knew exactly what to do. But it was crazy that whenever I felt like overwhelmed or like maybe there's too many people, every time I looked over my shoulder, there was always someone right there. And so I trusted them with my life and I knew that they were there to protect me. And so, yeah.
0: And when it came to kind of like some of the, the terminology that was used, I know that sometimes in workplaces, even, it's not just uh, to the military, but you know, language like stop whining, you're bossy, you know, being sexualized, and a lot of these messages, even if they're just joking in a joking manner, can be uh, portrayed or, or said a lot. Was that ever something that you experienced, or what well, that was like common amongst the military that you saw? You know, you don't have to like go into too much detail, but uh, I'm just curious because I know that happens across, I'm not trying to victimize the military in specific, but was that something that you experienced?
1: Yeah. I mean, sometimes when I would say like, hey, I don't think we should do this, they would be like, stop whining. And I'm like, I'm not whining. I just have a high pitch voice and I'm stating this. And so, yes, that is something that I did have challenge with more not deployed, because I think deployed, it was a different situation. It was more like when we were at home station and like when we were doing exercises or doing different things at the base level where it was like, you know, I don't think what we're doing makes sense. And they would be like, just stop whining. Or, you know, they call women a B word a lot. So that was a very common thing. But I'm thinking back to my deployment. And I think think when I spoke up and said, hey, I don't think we should do something, especially when we were overseas, they listened to what I had to say because it was like life or death, you know? So we all had to rely on each other. And I think I had proven my worth. Like I went on the missions and I was with another female civil engineer and we would just take turns back and forth. I I just didn't experience that when I was overseas. But when I was home... That would happen every once in a while at home station.
0: That's interesting. Do you think that's because when you you kind of alluded to it there, it's life or death situation, but just like the, the grounding of emotions overseas and being deported is much different than kind of the offices here in North America. Like, why do you think that difference was so prevalent?
1: I think it was just the environment because it was maybe it sounded like I was trying to get out of doing something that I don't want to do. But when you're overseas, you know, there's nothing you can get out of, you just have to do it. And so I think when it's like an exercise, and you're suggesting like, why don't we do it this way? Instead of that way, sometimes you just discount people for what they say, because you are tired, or you just wanted to get over and you're like, let's just go this way. It's faster. I don't know. I don't really know. I never really thought about it until you the question and I was like yeah because when you said whining, I was like oh yeah that happened all the time at my first base when we were at home station but I think it was also that like I hadn't really proven myself I was just this girl that they didn't really know and deployed it was like we all had a relationship because we had gone through deployment training together and so they weren't like oh who's this girl they were like oh we know that she's not complaining she's she's tough and She'll do whatever is required.
0: Yeah. And so do you feel like there is a higher level to prove yourself as a woman than what typically men have to do to prove themselves?
1: Yeah, I think that exists just because there's so few women. There's so many, like, stereotypes that you have to overcome that it's like one girl will do one thing. And, like, you can have a 100 other girls and it doesn't matter. Like, everyone thinks that that one girl is like the typical and I think that happens with like so many different like stereotypes in the world but yeah you definitely had like challenges of like having to prove yourself and people not understanding who you were when I came home from my deployment I got a bronze star which is a pretty high medal for the military and when They gave it to me. I think people in the squadron at the home station were like, why the heck are they giving this girl? (laughs) Because they all had to come out and see me get my medal. But people were just like confused because they didn't know who I was. And like you said, they had that like stereotype of like, oh, she's a girl. Why is she getting this award? Doesn't really make any sense. And it was not something that was common for Air Force. It was more for Army. And since I went on Army deployment, that's how... I ended up with that, but it was just kind of like, I knew that there were people in the crowd who were like, I don't understand how she got that and why she got that.
0: And did that bother you at a personal level or was that kind of just like you're used to it? Kind of what was your, was your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I was more used to it. I didn't really care about the people who I would say the haters. I was more concerned about the certain civilians who came out who didn't have to be at the ceremony who were there supporting me. And those people were, I guess, who my focus was on, the people who were there by choice and were supporting me and were proud of what I had done and appreciated it. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a really good way of of looking at it. And in your time in the Air Force and then coming back and being in the military and all your experiences in the six years, did you see a culture, the culture changing of the attitude towards women? Were you seeing more women leadership? Kind of what what was your thoughts on on the, the growth and evolution of women in the military while you were in it?
1: I don't think that I really did see a lot of changes. Uh, all my bosses were male when I was in. And I think maybe now today, the women that I served with are now in more leadership position. And I think it's a different culture, but at the time in those, I mean, six years isn't very long. I don't think there were a lot of changes. I guess the big change is that like I deployed in 2010 with the infantry unit. And then in 2013 is when the army announced that women could be in all the jobs in the army. And then that went into effect in 2016. And so I think maybe the work that I did made an impact on that because I didn't say, no, I'm not doing that. I just did it. And I know that after my deployment, they started these things called female engagement teams. And that was where they like embedded women on like SEAL teams and other like tactical teams. And I don't know a lot about the details, but I know that those came about because of what the army medics were doing on convoys and the PRTs having women on them. And so I think those impacts slowly happened because of what we did while we were in. And now, you know, the stories that are coming out of the women who are graduating from all those trainings and the first one, and it's pretty cool to see that that happened
0: so what is like? I'm I'm intrigued by you know you were, you interview a lot of women in the military. What have been some of like the the best stories that you've heard about their triumphs? You know about how they they still if they have a family or if they don't have a family, like how they engage with them overseas. Kind of what have been some of the most uh, intriguing, amazing stories that you've heard and interviewed so far?
1: I don't think that's a fair question. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're all really good. My one friend said, like, whatever's the last one you edited, that's the best one. But they they really are so good. And, like, the story that's going out next week is with someone who was a PA officer when the internet was, like, coming about and social media. And so she, like, helped stand up the Navy social media program when she was in. And it was, like, that's crazy to think that, like, you helped create like how we communicate with social media and then i interviewed a granddaughter of a women air force service pilot wasp and they served during world war ii and they became pilots for the army they were civilians they were supposed to become military That's a long story. But they served in the army to make it so that more women men could go overseas and serve in combat. And so like I got to read her book and read like hear her story. And it was something that I didn't really know a lot of military history about World War II and what women have done. And so that was a really cool story. And then there's been another number of women who've sent me emails after the interview talking about like how freeing it was to share their story or one person's mom emailed me and told me about how she cried when she listened to her daughter's story and how she knew how important it was for her daughter to share and another lady that I interviewed she's starting her own podcast and I was a guest on her podcast and she told me she started her podcast because of my podcast so so many like cool stories like All the stories of like what women have done are really interesting, but there's like so much other ripple effects that go beyond it that make it even more exciting to do what I do.
0: No, I think that's amazing that you you shared that. And I can definitely tell you as a fellow podcaster that almost every... The last interview you do is almost always your favorite one because you're just like, oh, I just learned so many new things in this interview. So yeah, I, I get what you mean. It wasn't a fair question. But I guess going back to kind of the the thought process of men in the military and, you know, you you kind of saw a bit of a change now where we are. How important is it for men to be allies to women, both in the military and, you know, just... in in roles in general, outside the military and even the corporate jobs, how important is that that women know that men are allies to them?
1: It's so important because you can't change the culture without 30% of the people believing in it. And right now in the military and even in like corporate offices, the leadership is not 30% women. So even if you had every woman, which it would be hard to get every woman on the same page. But even if you had like 20% and you all were fighting for the same thing and you're trying to change the culture, if you don't have 30% of the people making that change, then it's not going to change. So it has to be something that women and men team up together with. I think International Women's Day and Women History Month is like really important, but I think sometimes we can feel like we're like discriminating against guys or like not talking about like what the men in our lives have done because like there are men all my bosses were male and they all gave me leadership opportunities they pushed me to do stuff my commander who sent me on my deployment gave me the quote of jump it's not that far and that like changed my whole perspective on my life and if I didn't appreciate what those men in my life had done, then it's like, I'm trying to say I did it all on my own, which I didn't. I had men role models who helped me and mentors and peers that helped me through my experience. And so I think it's so important that we rely on each other and we work together to change the culture because we can't do it alone. And I'm really appreciative of even for the army to change the regulation, that was a decision made by a bunch of men. It wasn't made by women, so you have to, I think you have to give credit to like what men have done. And sometimes when we're like, we're women, we're so excited. We make guys feel not so, you know, they feel discriminated against and they don't, their voice doesn't matter.
0: And I love that quote that you said, "Jump, it's not that far." And you said that kind of stuck out to you a lot. So what does that quote mean to you in terms of your career in terms of where you are right now?
1: So, he gave me a journal before I left for my deployment and that quote said the full quote is if you come to a great chasm in life, jump, it's not that far. And so that's what I did for my whole deployment. I whenever I had to do something, I would tell myself, well, jump, it's not that far. And what I learned from it was that it wasn't that far. And so if I hadn't had that quote, I still would have had to do all those things, but I wouldn't have had that like mindset of like, it's not that far. And so one of my friends recently was like, how did you publish a book? How did you start a podcast? How did you do all these things? I'm like, well, I kind of just jump (laughs) because I know it's not that far and it isn't like it's really scary to jump and do things, but like, when you take action and you do stuff, stuff happens, and you never know what's gonna happen. And so I, I that's where I'm saying like I use that quote to just push myself to do things that even though they look scary, I know from experience of deploying to Afghanistan, it's not that far.
0: Yeah. I think that's a beautiful quote. And it's like, it's just a simple reminder, whether it's about fears, whether it's about little inconsistencies, whether it's about pursuing something that you're creative about, it kind of applies to all those things in the sense of just do it. Like if you don't do it, you're going to regret it. And if you do do it, you're just going to realize that you either learn from your mistake or you will fail and failure is part of life too. But I kind of wanted to go back now to how you think the military has shaped your life post-military with where you are now, you know, some of the character aspects that you've learned, what you teach your children, the thought process of how that has kind of shaped the rest of your life and how you engage with both men, women, and everyone around you.
1: The funny part is like, I left the military, I became a still at home mom. And so like for a long time, like the only people I talked to were other women. And it's only recently since like a year ago when I started podcasting that I've started like engaging with men about various things and I had an interview that I was really nervous about with a officer in the army who had a podcast and like we had the interview and then it was over and I was like oh yeah I can still talk to guys I can still like be professional so I think sometimes I feel like oh I'm not qualified and I think like oh, I'm just a mom or whatever and then I talk to people and I realize like oh I I guess I have a unique experience. I deployed, I, I learned a lot about like how to be a good leader and how to push myself to do things. And so those things have stuck with me as I left the military. And my husband's still in the military. So I still feel like the military's teaching us stuff because they'll control our life. And we've had to move with little kids and we just kind of have like a life that's kind of like always in flux. And that's been a challenge to learn too.
0: Mm -hmm. And have you moved around a lot in your, I guess, like, I, I know that there's sometimes you move around a lot from base to base in the States or even around the world. Has that been something that you've experienced in your military career?
1: Yeah, we've moved about every three to four years. And my husband's been in like 13, 14 years. So we moved four times.
0: Wow. How does that affect you and like the family, I guess, if you don't mind my asking?
1: I mean, when we were both in and we didn't have kids, it was really, I mean, it was easy. We just pick up and move. And we both had jobs that moved with us. So it was really easy because you get connected with the people you work with. But then when we moved from Ohio to California, that was my first move as a military spouse. And my husband was like, all right, I'm going to work. And I was like, wait. I don't know anyone. There's boxes everywhere. But my son was one when we moved. And so he was kind of just like there for the ride. He didn't seem all that affected by it. But we moved again to Virginia. We're in Virginia now. And he was five and my youngest was three. And so we're two. And so that was like a harder move because he had friends and we had to have like We had to have, like, pretty grown-up conversations about, like, saying goodbye to friends, like, starting over. He had to be brave and go to a brand-new school without knowing anyone. And and so it's, like, it kind of makes your kids grow up a little bit faster than you probably want them to, but it also... They get to see the world and experience a lot of things. And he will be like, oh, you know, my friend who lives in this state and that state. And like, so we have friends that are all over the country. So that's kind of cool.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's great, and and for the next question, feel free to answer it or not. But I'm really curious, and you know, how you know you're a military spouse. How has your husband, you know, supported you and the women in the military, and the and especially the the men in the military too? How has how has that been a conversation that you've developed and, and grown through and had in your house?
1: I wanted to be a stay at home mom, and I think that was probably a harder challenge for him than starting a business so I think when I said I wanted to start like a blog and start a business he's like okay whatever and now that like it's starting to get some traction I think he's excited because it's like instead of me being like can I have money for my business (laughs) I actually have money to give him and so we can use it to travel and that sort of stuff but I think it was more harder for him to get on board with me like I have a civil engineering degree so I think when I originally was going to get out of the military. I think he thought that I was going to like work as a civil engineer, but I really wanted to be a stay at home mom. And so, talking to him about like wanting to do that, working and setting up our finances so that I could do that was more of a challenge. And he's been really supportive for me doing the podcast and all the business stuff that I've, you know, had to take a little out here and there. It's starting to pay off.
0: Beautiful. I guess we'll go into the last three questions now. What is one piece of advice that your father or an important male figure, you know, you've talked about how you have a lot in your life from commanders and whatnot, but I guess in this case, your father, what is one piece of advice that he gave you that you live by every day?
1: So so this is kind of funny. So my dad's a gardener and he would make me and my sister work with him on like days off from school. And he would tell us, (laughs) if you don't go to college, this is what you're going to be doing the rest of your life. And so my sister and I both went to college and we didn't want to be mowing lawns for the rest of our life. So I think he taught us like hard work and how important it was to be good students and to go to school. And like he always dreamed better things for us. And so that was like the big thing.
0: Yeah. And I know that we when we first touched base, you wanted to kind of go into depth about how important he was and dads are into a young girl's life. So I guess before I ask the second last question, uh, we'll kind of go deeper into that little space there that you want to discuss on. So how was your dad in your, your young life? You kind of touched on a bit there, but I want to go deeper into that.
1: Yeah. So my dad was really pushed my sister and I to do a lot of sports and he pushed us to like, he was a big influence in my life. My mom was there too, but my dad was kind of the one who was like always pushing us and like trying to get us to like do different sports to get good grades Mm -hmm. and do all those things. And I, I think that dads play a pivotal role, especially in little girls' lives, because there's just like a connection between a dad and a daughter that it's just different than like a mom and a son or a mom and a mom and a daughter. And so he just really had an impact on pushing me to go out and dream big. And like, I don't have any military connection, but he was always a supporter. He was the one who took me to meet with the recruiter when I first started looking into the military. And so it's just like he just always had bigger dreams for me and always pushed me.
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So then I'll go into the second last question. What is one piece of advice that you wish your father or an important male figure gave you?
1: I think my dad, like I said, he was a gardener. So I think he didn't have like the college experience, obviously. And so I wasn't quite prepared for like what college would be like and even what life would be like to work in an office. And so I, kind of stumbled into engineering as a career field because I liked math. And so I majored in math. And then I met someone when I was doing ROTC and they were like, you need to do engineering if you like math. And like, I didn't even know engineering was a job because that was something like we had never talked about. And so I think him just not knowing what he didn't know, because, you know, the level of income or where we were at, he didn't know like right direction to push me and so it was kind of just by chance that I fell into engineering and didn't get a degree in math which is like theory which I would have hated so I'm really glad I found engineering but just like not really knowing like what advice to give me on like what major to do and what job to pursue at the higher level.
0: And then finally what is one piece of advice that you want to pass down to future generations or your kids?
1: I think just how important it is to like spend time together as a family my family really loves Disney and so I don't know if my kids love it my husband and I really love Disney (laughs) my kids get to enjoy the benefits of that but we we love spending time together as a family and we make a point to like spend time together as a family we do different activities and we like try and go to Disney at least once a year and spend time together and it's like there's no phones and we're just in the park spending time together having a lot of fun and just trying to make like fun memories and so I think it's really important to like be passionate about what you're doing and the work that you do but it's also really important to spend time together as a family because that's what really matters.
0: Yeah. And then this last question just came to me while you're answering that question. So I guess the last question wasn't the last question. What is one thing that you would say to women who are thinking about joining the military?
1: So my advice would be to do it. I think that the military has a lot more open doors than closed doors. I know it's not going to be easy, but you will grow and you'll learn. And just the connections after you leave the military, there's so many doors that have opened in the last year that I'm like, I didn't even know that was a door I could walk through, let alone that it would open up. And so there's so many great connections after your service is like one piece of the puzzle, but like, it's something that you keep with you for your whole life. And so it's just a great experience.
0: Mm -hmm. And then finally, uh, just tell everyone what you got going on in your life, where they can find you and uh, anything that you want to promote. Now's the time.
1: So you can go to my blog, which is com, and find my podcast, which is Women of the Military. It's available on your favorite podcast app. And I also wrote a book called Women of the Military, and it is available on Amazon.
0: Perfect. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I learned a lot about the American military, about, you know, the the truths and, and myths about men in the military and women in the military. I think I really want to do a lot more of these where we I kind of hone in on with women about uh, industries that are deemed kind of toxic or have that kind of bro mentality and, and I really thank you for being open and sharing a lot of that and sharing what you did and your amazing story. Uh, I think a lot of women will be able to maybe not uh, relate to the military aspect, but just the struggles or the stories that you told that you know being kind of the stop whining a lot of this language and a lot of those themes I think carry along with a lot of women in their lives so I'm really thankful for you to be here and sharing those
1: thanks for having me it was exciting to get to talk about this topic
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Imperfect, where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. You can find Amanda on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at airman to mom That's also the name of her website, airman to momcom You know, I really gained a lot of insights from a woman in the military, and I think that those perspectives really offer a lot of value to men. And, you know, I've always wanted to to get into having women on this podcast, and Amanda was the perfect first guest to do that. Again, thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at the Imperfect Pod. Feel free to also shoot me a LinkedIn message where you can find me at Luke West and you know you can also text me at my number 647-239-1455 if you'd also like to engage with me that way Uh, you can also leave a review on itunes uh, that does a lot for the show and and definitely a a nice way of saying thanks and uh, thank you again to uh, matthew mcclelland my editor for the podcast the work you're doing is amazing and i hope to see you all next week thanks for tuning in